My name is Laurens Jacht. And welcome to Cybersecurity Talks, the interview podcast for cybersecurity professionals and for those who aspire to become one. And in this podcast, I interview industry experts and explore what it's like to work in the cybersecurity domain. Join us on our journey and learn about the latest trends, real-life war stories, and everything you need to know about this fascinating industry. Today we have a very special episode because we have not one guest, but we have two. And we're really excited to have them on the show. I would like to introduce two of the founders of the Hadrian team, Rogier Fischer, CEO of the company, and Olivier Beck, the head of hacking. Rogier and Olivier uh, met each other when they were just 12 years old. They bonded because they had a passion for hacking already at that age. At age 30, they were already white hacking several Dutch banks and big international tech companies. After high school, Olivier became a famous hacker. Uh, Rogier went for an exciting journey in the blockchain and crypto industry uh, with the company Lightbit, where he built a firm to reach over 50 million in revenues, 1.5 that is, in 2018. Rogier and Olivier always stayed connected, however they only fully reconnected in April 2021. In August 2021, together with two other founders, they registered the Pentester business called Hadrian. Within one year after launching, Hadrian has raised 13 million euros. They have now close to 50 employees and they have offices in London and in Amsterdam, where we're sitting right now on the light supply. I honestly thought these kind of successes only happen in Silicon Valley or in the movies, but uh, you guys were able to build uh, a multi-million euro business in less than a year. It's only 10 months. So I'm really, really excited to, uh, to have you guys on the show. So let's get started. What you need to know about me. What meal do you start your day with? I usually just uh, eat a banana, banana or an apple. Huh. That's not a lot. And you? Or just bread and cheese. Bread and cheese, Dutch. Nice. Android or iOS? iOS. iOS. What's your favorite phone app? WhatsApp. Telegram. Working from home, office, or a mix? Mix. Mix as well. Are you guys gamers, Rogier? I, I, I play too many games. A lot of strategy games, lots of chess, uh, but not, not really any FPS or anything like that. Not really. Okay. Laptop, desktop, server, or VM? Laptop. Laptop. What's a guilty pleasure of you guys? Uh, I live in London. I love to go to musicals. Uh, I say bad YouTubers. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, you can watch hours for that stuff. Mr. Yeah. Beast, let's go. <laughs> for sure. Um, cloud or on-prem? Cloud. Cloud. What's the first word that comes to mind when I say cybersecurity? Fun. Sent help yesterday. Mayday. Mayday. Okay. What is the password of you guys? I'm not going to share my password. One, two, three, four, five, six, something in that <laughs> nice. range. This is a public service announcement. Do you want to work with the next generation of cybersecurity professionals? Or do you want to start a career in cybersecurity yourself? Then join us, because we're on a mission to close the cybersecurity talent gap. We started a new educational company called The Guardianship. Here we train digital talent to become the next generation of cybersecurity professionals. For more information, go to theguardianship.nl. That is theguardianship.nl. .nl. Now let's get back to the episode. The beginnings. I was also fascinated um, because you, you guys run uh, such a big company already with a lot of people. And I understood you guys know each other already uh, very long. Can, can you explain a bit uh, how you guys met and when this was? So I, I remember correctly, the first time we met in person was actually in Amsterdam. 
in the Amsterdam Arena. Oh yeah. Um, it was after uh, after we both had uh, breached the systems of ABN Ambro. ABN Ambro at the time was a sponsor of Ajax, and they had a skybox. And at that time, we were invited to uh, to watch a game together. Um, but yeah, that must have been 2014, 2015, something like that. Yes, I was still in high school. Yeah. So oh, then then it's even before that. Yeah, 2012 perhaps. But yeah, I mean, and, and, and a couple of years we were already like engaging uh, online. We, there were a couple of online forums. We were both active. A lot of Skype sessions together. Um, so so that's uh, definitely since very early early teenage years. So you hacked Avian Umbro, and, and then both of you were invited to uh, to to meet some of the people and and watch a game of uh, the Ajax Football Club. Um, well, they offered us to get either tickets for the Ziggo Dome or for a Ajax match. Um, and I support Ajax, so I was like, well, we're going to go to Ajax. And then they asked us for a list of like four or five matches that we wanted to see. So I gave them, I think, Ajax Barcelona, Ajax Manchester United, Ajax Base Fane, Ajax AZ. Well, it became Ajax AZ. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you aim for the highest, you get what you actually want. <laughs> That's good. And how did you guys start with this? Because maybe you had a computer back home, but what was maybe the point that you thought, okay, this is, hey, I'm, I'm now getting into some gray zones and I'm trying to get some access. Maybe I should not be in here, but hey, I'm going to continue a little bit. I remember that I got hacked and it just really pissed me off. Okay. Like, I, I, first, I just tried to figure out what happened. And then I realized that I, I what happened was way more fun than actually building a product. Um, so that's how I, I got into that avenue. I was just very interested in why I got hacked and then like other, other ways that I could potentially get hacked. And then that's how I just got into it. And was there a lot of material available back then or was it all self-study? No, it was a lot of self-study. Like you, you could find some some videos on YouTube, um, but there's way more content around it right now. The same for responsible disclosure, for example. I think that when we started hacking, there was no way to, to responsibly disclose uh, vulnerability to an organization, where now it's almost or, like weird if you can't, for the Netherlands at least. Yeah, if I remember correctly, at some point there was actually a change in the regulations in the Netherlands, and that triggered that all banks in, in the same week published responsible disclosure, which meant that, you know, literally every financial organization in the Netherlands suddenly became a target for us. And it was, we were both in high school and it was like the, the May holiday. And we, we just locked each, uh, you know, we locked ourselves in a room and for two weeks straight, we just only did penetration tests. We found over 250 problems uh, with, with the Dutch banks. And I remember that there was this uh, like internal discussion within the banks and they dis they 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 told us that we were specifically discussed in the on the on, in that internal bank discussion there's like these two teenagers that keep breaking into our systems what do we have to do um but yeah, and also secondly to, to answer your question a bit like how do you get into it like back then it was ridiculously easy <laughs> like, I just, I mean, and comparing it to right now you know the, the standards for security have improved in incredibly and you know back it was it was difficult to not find something when we were teenagers and nowadays you know you have to actually spend some time and and know a lot more um but yeah back then it was much easier well back then you could just look at a website and they were just like oh this looks old it's probably vulnerable yeah like exactly. you, you would just be like yeah that looks like crap and if it looks like crap it probably is 
and that's the way that we would just go after each target. So I was like, oh, this looks like a very old web page, probably not secure. Yeah, but it, it's uh, it's very interesting that these big banks know the both of you uh, in a way. Yeah, I mean back then, right? I, I, this is ten years ago, so yeah. it's it's it, it's it's definitely changed since then. But no, it was uh, it was very very exciting times. And you uh, guys also grew closer. I mean, did you became good friends as, as teenagers? I mean, at that time we were already, I, I would say, good friends, right? We were yeah. uh, almost every day we were chatting about one thing or another, and and. Yeah, all, all kind of like silly, silly stuff. And but at the same time, we were trying to break into companies. Pretty funny. Yeah, is there one particular hack that you're that you can share and that you're also proud of that you think hey, that's a that's a fun story? I mean, if you the one that I that I think from from a funny perspective, it's the uh, it's the Kim Kardashian story. <laughs> that one is absolutely <laughs> <Clear>. incredibly funny. <laughs> Let's go. That, uh, so Oliver, I'll, I'll pass it to you. This, this is you are the <laughs> the main character here. So, okay. So, um, we were doing prank calls, and we were just like kids stuff. We were just connecting two people together and see how they would react. And I remember, I think we connected GoDaddy, a web hosting service, to uh, Show News. One little background detail here is that so we had a vulnerability in Skype, which meant that we could connect into two international numbers from anywhere in the world we could connect those two numbers and have them call each other so and in that way you know you can create a lot of funny funny discussions so that 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 led us to at some point connecting godaddy to show news, news which made no sense and they also thought it made no sense so the phone call was very short but there was one question asked which um well gained her interest which was is this about uh, kim kardashian so the, the like the godaddy support service was like nope no it's not about kim kardashian uh, okay well all right bye so we were like okay maybe we should call back in like 10 to 15 minutes and be like hey we're gonna wear it to talk about Kim Kardashian. Um, so we, we called them back and they, they picked up and we're like, hey, we're, we're from Paper Magazine. We um, we would like to answer your questions about Kim Kardashian. And we gave them an entire interview about Kim Kardashian in Paper Magazine. <laughs> and they like broadcasted it live on television with all of the questions they've asked us. Uh, but it was just all made up. Like none of the questions we answered. We just came up with like a shit story. And and then they asked, how much, how much papers did you sell and we said oh we sold like five million a lot and, and a lot <laughs> and and then it, it remained on on their website for like years it was only removed i think one or two years ago mm -hmm. um as and and they brought us like a big scoop during the live audience like showing us like they called us back and they gave us an elaborate interview and they explained to us that they had to photoshop it because it was so ugly and <laughs> we were just <laughs> laughing our ass. just like two 16 year old kids <laughs> yeah that's brilliant and i think you guys also had a a, a small stand with uh paypal if I remember. Yeah, so so PayPal, it was actually quite an interesting one. So PayPal was one of the first companies in, in the world that were like, okay, we're a digital bank. Security is, is a pretty big deal for us. They, they realized that well before any of the other major tech companies. So they were also the first ones that, that published the Hall of Fame where you can, you know, as an ethical hacker, you kind of want to be on those Hall of Fames. Um, and they also published the responsible disclosure and they said, hey, if you find something with us, we're going to pay you for it. And I think we were 14, something like that. And those rewards were were pretty great. Like, I think it started at $1,000, but it would go up all the way to twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. So, you know, as a, as a young teenager, like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll try. And, and the interesting part is that we found a bug 
which by itself is not that interesting. It was it was in a language file where the language file, uh, it was checked whether it was coming from paypal.com. It was just a very simple rudimentary check, but they didn't account that paypal.com by itself could come from a subdomain. So for example, we had paypal.com.example.nl, and then we could include our own language file. Well, that allowed us to basically change everything on the PayPal's website because we could change all the all the other text. But more importantly, PayPal considered the language file completely trusted. So when we started to write code in that language file, it was similarly completely trusted and executed on PayPal's side. Oh wow. And from that moment onward, we could send someone a link and if they were logged into their PayPal account, we would have access to it. So it was a, it was a pretty big problem for them. And the funny thing is in order for us to assess the scope of what we just found, we just Googled it. And that was like, we, 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 had, we had one page that we knew was vulnerable on the paypal.com website. Um, and then we just searched in Google for certain parameters and we got a list of hundreds of other pages that were potentially vulnerable and every single one we could report. Oh, and that wow. meant that just for every one of those pages, we're getting like a thousand bucks and we're getting a thousand bucks and we're getting a thousand bucks. And, just, and we, we were just partying <laughs> around. <laughs> so it's like they, they kept on accepting as well. And like only after, I, I think it was well over 60 reports that we made, only after 60 reports, they were like, this looks very similar to the ones that you've previously submitted. And then they stopped stopped paying out. But like it was a very, it was a very uh, lucrative uh, finding. Uh, in, the, in their flash surface, yeah. I think that already sort of created the entrepreneurs in, in you guys that you eventually became, but, but that uh, also gave you the opportunity as young boys to already make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. and we both invested in, uh, in, in like building small little ventures and we both failed quite often. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. That, that kind of already created that the drive to at least do some things on our own. Yeah. And were your parents never concerned? I, sp I assume you spend a lot of time behind the computer. My, my parents really didn't care. Like they, they just liked what I was doing. And um, I mean, I was underage, so what could really happen? Yeah. Um, so yeah, my, they, let, they let me do what I wanted to do. And uh, as long as there was no police at the door, which never happens, luckily, uh, I was okay. Yeah, so they were also proud in a sense yeah, of what yeah. you were doing. Oh, here I, I see you well, blushing a little bit. <laughs> I had a couple of incidents as a teenager. So I was, I was sued a couple of times as a, when I was 12 and 13 year old. And mm -hmm. I, we were disconnected a couple of times from the internet. So my mom was not necessarily extremely happy with some of the activities I was, uh, I was performing there. And uh, generally speaking, I'd say she was completely unaware of any, anything I did. Uh, that uh, I was just, uh, I kept everything on like my PayPal account, made sure that <laughs> only after when I was 18, I, I at some point told her some of the activities, but uh, until that she was, uh, I, I think, completely oblivious for it. Bunch of nerds building technology. I think then um, after high school, uh, you both go a bit your own direction. Okay, I think you went to London to, to work for uh, a cryptocurrency. Uh, no, that's actually uh, was in the Netherlands. So it was during high school, I was one of the co-founders of Libit. And Libit was also, I mean, I, I got into the crypto space because of the activities I was doing in the, in, in the cybersecurity industry. And, you know, crypto at that time was very young. We were talking 2012, like Bitcoin was $20 or something. So 
Um, and I, I found it fascinating and I started building some crypto bots and so on and that you know, kind of spiraled out of control and became a full-fledged company uh, that we know as Lightbit today. Um, and, and only recently, um, so in 2020, after, after I left that company, I moved, I moved to London. And uh, how was it the early days in, in the Bitcoin space were, were very young and then only yeah, the people that really believed in it? I, I mean, it was it was super exciting, um, and also I, I, I guess what what was super interesting out in the space back then, twenty twelve to I'd say twenty sixteen, was that it was to a certain extent about financial gain, but most of the people we were interacting with was they were just nerds, and they liked the technology, they liked the efficiency behind it, and they were interacting with it. And and I think that was also for me the the, the fun era of of being involved in crypto. After that. Well, we became more like financial uh, uh, institution and, and and compliance and all other aspects of financial institutions came into play, uh, which was an amazing adventure to be part of. And I'm thankful for having that opportunity. But it was not the same type of hope. Oh, we're sitting in a room with a bunch of nerds writing code, building cool products. Uh, that was definitely the only the first years, which is also what I like about now. Recently, having started Hadrian with Oliver, I'm getting that vibe back where we're just, you know, a bunch of nerds building cool technology, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I want to go um, to Hadrian in a bit, and uh, Oliver, you um, become sort of a, a white hat hacker. You you join a couple companies, you do some bug bounty programs. I think you became a very, very good, uh, good hacker with some some major companies that uh, you you've helped over the years, and then eventually um, last year, just only last year, you guys reconnect. How how did that happen? Uh, Roger sent me a, a LinkedIn message. He's like, "Hey, want to go for a cup of coffee?" And then he sent me a Zoom link. So it was pretty difficult to to do that, the coffee. Uh, but that's when we reconnected. Yeah, it was that easy. It was also like during my time at Libit, we were working a lot with uh, with his company, like ZeroCopter. We explored quite a things. I think he, Oliver, tried to hack us numerous times. I guess deny these allegations. Yeah, a lot of times, and and so I mean, it was never that we completely you know ne never spoke again. It's just that we were not speaking every week or something, right? And then in April. I said basically what what we both said. We already knew that we w were looking for a new opportunity, and then we're like, okay, shall we look into building something together? And then things spiraled out of control again. Well, when you wrote him that message, you knew already about a potential business plan, or you were looking for people that you want to start something with, or was it really let's have a chat and just brainstorm? Um, no, it was definitely the second part. Yeah, so I was. Uh, Basically, when I moved to London, I, I didn't really have a plan. And also COVID happened, so that didn't really help finding a plan. Um, and I, I just took a break after having worked eight years at, at Lightbit and, uh, and, and, and looked for opportunities for my next step. And that's when we, when we yeah, reconnected more with a, with a purpose, I'd say. Right? That's, um, yeah. And then can you explain, because that was in April and then in August, you already found the company. So th th that's a really short time span. So so both of you stopped jobs and, and went fully fully focused on, on building Hadrian. There are two other uh, co-founders. But can you explain a bit how those months were afterwards? All right, I went super quick because I remember that we discussed the idea 
And I think a month after that, I, I told my boss that I was going to take off all my holiday days. And after that, I'll be gone. Uh, and we, we just started, like we incorporated. And then um, a couple of months later, we had an office in Amsterdam and we started hiring. And and was it bootstrapped from the beginning or, or did you start with fundraising? Uh... So, uh, so we, we started with quite some funding. Um, that was also kind of the pitch I had to Oliver. It's like, hey, we're going to build a company. It's going to be in security and and building a bootstrap company in security. It's possible, but I guess that if, if you want to really you know, get on the opportunity quickly, uh, you need to be fast. And that was what we were both looking for. So from the beginning, we were intending to raise capital very early on. And how did you manage to to do this? You, you're both young guys. Was there a solid business plan or a beautiful pitch deck? Basically, I was in London. Oliver was in, 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 in Amsterdam. Fundraising in London is, generally speaking, significantly easier than in, in the Netherlands. So that was already gave us a little bit more of a confidence, like we can do this. Uh, we were actively approached, both of us, we were actively approached by investors saying, hey, if you ever want to do something, think of me. Um, so we, we had a good network where we could raise some capital from. Um, also, our co-founders did, so Tel and, and Maurice. Um, we started out, and that, that's actually quite a fun story. Is what in in August, beginning of August, the, the day we incorporated, we actually launched a, a hackathon with a lot of our friends and and network. We were with around twenty five people, um, and the goal of that weekend was really to to prove some of the assumptions that we had about the technology that we wanted to build, like to get a bit, bit of a feasibility study out. Um, so I, I, yeah, we we could call it the pitch deck, but in in reality, in the end, we had some kind of running MVP together with some slides around the market and and so on. And then we went out and talked to some investors, and it was closed all relatively quickly. And how did you decide to build the the, the founding fathers of the company? You guys knew each other. Uh, but but the the other two founders, did you already know we want to partner up with them, or how did you make that I, happen? It, it came very naturally, um, and and I think that so Oliver and I had quite a good idea of what our strengths are, which is probably just you know knowing how to hack stuff. Um, but we're both not incredible developers, um, and also from with, with with regards to sales and finance, not necessarily amazing talents. So I think that that's where we, we were looking for some complementary team members. Um, and then uh, Tel von Vliet was someone that uh, that I know also quite long already. He, he just came out of another startup where he was CTO, um, which had to close down during COVID. So he was in essence available, which is from a time perspective, you know, good opportunity. And, uh, and Maurice Klein was, uh, was a friend of mine in London who was looking to do something in entrepreneurship. It was not necessarily that he wanted to do something in cybersecurity, he wanted to do something in an exciting space. Um, and he had a very strong background in finance and sales. And I think that we met each other at Soho House in Amsterdam. There was a very good match. Everyone liked each other. And that was also the moment where we were like, okay, then then this is perhaps a good founding founding team. Let's do it. Let's do it. And then the, the hackathon happened and the the MVP was shown and the investors want to be part of it. That's exactly what happened. Autonomous hacking. 
and then now it's it's ten months later, and and you've you've hired a bunch of people. I, I think close to forty or fifty people, and there's another uh, uh, seed round. So so I think there's now thirteen million already invested. I'm just mesmerized how quickly that can happen in in ten months. But if you can can you walk us through what makes the technology so special? Uh, I mean, it, it's autonomous hacking, which in itself sounds very vague. Like, well, what are you actually building? Um, we're, we're really just building uh, a offensive hacker's mind into the cloud. So being able to attack a organization with the hacker's mindset uh, autonomously. Because uh, what you currently will notice is that you, you have default uh, web scanners, for example, and they won't be able to connect the dots between multiple assets. Uh, so they wouldn't be able to know that uh, dashboard dot is connected to admin dot, example, .com, and those correlations are super important. Uh, so being able to to make those connections and being able to use that data to to hack something that that's what we're really building. So the offensive perspective with, with like pretty aggressive hacking, but not being um, disturbing. Yeah, but is it then fully automated at some point, or do you guys with the hacking team also do some final pen testing, like the hands-on work? No, no, we're not doing any final final pen testing ourselves. It's, we we want to automate as much as possible. Of course, there are edge cases which are just incredibly difficult to to automate. Uh, for example, how do you recognize if a email on this page is information disclosure or a contact form? And those kind of things are what we're trying to use machine learning for, for example, and then be able to to make those kind of decisions on, on the fly. Yeah. And and how is your team then build it up? So there, I assume there are a lot of software developers, but also people with a hacking background, you guys yourself included, and they come together sort of to, if, if I say correct, mm -hmm. sort of scan from the outside and, and then using machine learning with sort of a hacker's approach to that. Exactly. So for, for example, what we do is we scan the entire internet each day uh, and the cloud services more often. So it's, it's for example, um, scanning uh, AWS or Azure is, is way more interesting to do that every hour in comparison to um, a home network IP range in China. Uh, so being able to very quickly notice changes in a company's infrastructure is, is our first uh, really key part of the product. So the moment that we see that a new asset from a customer pops up, we'll start passively monitoring it. We don't hack it yet, we need permission for that, but we can monitor what's happening on that asset. And all the information that we gather from that point on, those are data entry points that we can use to actually offensively hack a customer. Um, so it could be that someone deploys a new website and then uh, in the first five minutes it's okay and then they update something and it discloses the source code and then five minutes later it's fixed. Um, in, in normal security scanners you won't know that that happened. But if you actively monitor search and assets you'll be able to recognize that, hey, the website changed 90% these five minutes and then disclosed this password for the database and then went back to normal. Um, but what's the risk there? Like, if the developer changed the password in the meantime, there's essentially no risk. Um, but if the password still works, then it might be very risky. Um, well, being able to make those determinations, that, that's what most of our products is about. Yeah. So there's a lot of scalability uh, with, this, uh, with this offering. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's, it's essentially it's one platform fits all, right? So the, uh, investors, they, they always ask me, Who's your target audience? And then we're like, well, anyone that has something running on the internet is our target audience. 
And and that means that, I mean, obviously we try to target the largest companies first because they are the most interesting for us. That we learn the most from. That's also a very important aspect of this technology. It's learning from insights that we gather over time. Um, that's a bit where the machine learning comes into play that Oliver just mentioned, but also a lot of our own QA, yeah, the manual te testing that we do, we do in order to improve the overall impact that the platform has. So, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but let's say the 20 to 30% of the time of our hacks is spent doing manual work, that that the idea is that during those during that time, they gather data on how they interact with our technology, interact with the internet, and that data is then subsequently used in our machine learning models to basically simulate the effect of what they've been doing manually. Yeah. Because I think one of the sort of the USPs, the, the unique selling points, is that you also offer the vulnerabilities, but but you really know how to prioritize them from a hacker's perspective. Yeah. So it's and and also vulnerability management is something that's been existing for like let's say twenty years. It's not really been innovated on at all. And by its own, vulnerabilities can be interesting, but it's it's very difficult to judge how interesting they are. Right. So. If you run some small block internally somewhere and it has a vulnerability that is, you know, breaking the whole block, you know, that can be critical. But in reality, a much smaller vulnerability into your core systems that handles financial data can be much more problematic. And I think that having that understanding and and also using insights that you have from your customer, from other testing and other aspects of your reconnaissance. That is, in the end, the supporting the assessments that we make and saying, hey, how risky is it really? And then vulnerabilities are just one aspect of it. Um, vulnerabilities you know, are exploitable bugs in software. But at the same time, we map your LinkedIn page and see who's working for you. And when we know who's working for you, we try and find them on GitHub. And then for sure, there's going to be one developer that works for you that by accident made one of the private repositories public or made a private fork public. And suddenly there's a configuration file exposed. And that configuration file shows us some IP address that you use internally to okay. connect to your yeah. VPN, whatever. So and all those insights, you know, we gather over time and then it becomes one knowledge base that we have on our customer. But every time we find something new, that full knowledge base is used to see if this this new information breaks something and makes something more risky. Three phases for success. I, I, I love how you guys started as kids, 12, 13 years old, breaking into large companies. And now you, you've created a company that helps these companies, but sort of on an automated, way more scalable scale. That's a... Yeah, that that's impressive. I'm really impressed, and also that you're 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 26, you're 25, but now you have a big bank account with with money from investors, from from other people that truly believe in you, and you've hired a lot of people. What is that like as as guys at this age to to have that responsibility? What are some of the yeah the learnings that you uh, you got from it? I see it as a job. Uh, honestly, I, I really, I mean, it's a passionate job. I have a passion for the company. I have a passion for building products. And I have a passion for building a company. But in reality, I don't consider what is on the bank account to be like my money or my thing. So it's it's really, it's it's a vehicle where I can be passionate about. And the, the investments is something that we need in order to build the product that I'm passionate about. And that's the core focus I have. So I, also, if I'm looking at where do I spend my time, it's 
it's strategizing where we do we want to get the product towards, uh, who do we want to hire to get there, and and fundraising, although it being a big part of my responsibilities, is something that I rather not spend too much time on. And is it sometimes overwhelming? Because then uh, next month there are four or five more people starting. You see people come in and uh, you talk with big customers. You feel that the stakes are way much higher than being teenagers behind your own computer. Now it's sort of the the real deal. It, it is the real deal and, and it can be overwhelming. Um, that's kind of the fun though, isn't it? Yeah. Just, you know, aim for the sky and, and see where you'll get it. Yeah, but I think you both are sort of trail seekers already back then when you hacked PayPal, seeing, okay, now we, we can build them maybe 50 or 60 times with one hack. Yeah. And for you, was it, you're the head of hacking, so, so you also run a team now? Well, yeah, but like we just, like it's a lot of fun. I think being able to motivate hackers into like adding new stuff to our products, I think that's the most exciting part about our company. So just being able to explore, seeing what we could potentially hack, looking at those like responses that we get from our data, I think that's the most like it's just a lot of fun, and I really enjoy doing that. And with a team, it's just more exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's also not as if we spend a lot of time managing, right? That the whole company structure is super flat, and we've built everything into autonomous teams. In general, that means that we we don't necessarily tell what the teams to do. I mean, there's obviously some general vision that we put out there, saying, "Hey, this is the the way we where we want to go." But they have really a lot of control on how they want to get there, which, you know, to some extent, is just lazy management. You just say, "Hey, I give you all the all the all the autonomy, but if you also have all the responsibility, good luck with it." But you see that, especially with the team that we've built right now, it really really resonates, and and everyone is really taking the responsibility and. I mean that that really helps keeping the team lean and and effective, um, and I, I think that's also the fundamental difference between corporates and startups. Like the advantage that you have over over startups over corporates is that you can take risks much easier, and and that also means that you can build very fast moving teams. That you know sometimes they make decisions and they they break production and the website is down or the server is down or they delete you know something that really shouldn't have been deleted. But you know, it's all not a problem that will r ruin like anything really, right? It's like yeah. obviously Oliver will not be happy if someone breaks production. I won't be happy if, so if someone breaks production. But it's something that we can survive and we'll just push through. And like two hours later, production is live again. With a corporate, that environment is much more risk averse, and and I think that that's one of the big advantages you have as a startup. You can move much faster. And, and besides the fast moving part and, and the leanest agility, are there other things that you consider as your company culture? And I'm asking this because 10 months ago, it was just the, the, the four of you. Now there are 40 more people. How, how is it to work on a company culture where everybody is basically new? Everybody's there on the first year. I mean, it's super exciting. We have a lot of people joining. Um... And it's just a lot of onboarding as well. So you're like you're trying to connect everyone together, make sure that the team knows all. But like the bigger you get, the the harder that gets. That's something you'll realize. Um, but no, I, I, I think it's just being able to excite everyone about the product and giving autonomy to to make things happen. I think that's the key of what we want to do with Hadrian. Yeah. yeah. And you've guys been in the the ecosystem for so long, so you probably already knew. Okay, we have the four founding fathers, but that will be a good girl, that will be a good guy that we also want to onboard to the team. 
uh, well, like we, we uh, for example, I had one um, kid who had to do an internship with me for a day a while ago at my previous company. And I think the moment that we started with Hadrian, I think yeah, his CV was the first one that we received. I mean, so this 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 guy had to do one day internship with you because he was sent by Bureau Halt. Okay. Because he had hacked <laughs> his school systems and and you know he was learning from Oliver how to do it ethically and don't hack your school systems. He's an amazing hacker and he and you know a lot of fun to work with. Um, but that's uh, yeah. And I also didn't give the greatest example the day that he had to do the internship with me. So no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but it's. Yeah. Oh, but it's it's fun to, to to work also with with very young talent in that sense. It's it's a, it's an industry where young talent is definitely rewarded in general. Ah, very cool. And one question that I forgot to ask in the beginning: uh, What does Hadrian stand for? So so how did you guys decide up uh, on the name? Oh, so yeah, the the, the actual brand name. Yeah, so, I mean uh, Hadrian is uh, it's an interesting story. I I I registered the name like six years ago. I, I liked it a lot. It's uh, it's named after emperor and an emperor in the Roman Empire. Uh, it's the actual the only one of the only emperors that died of natural causes, and his legacy is very well known for building the Roman Empire and consolidating the power that they had. And instead of really being like the expander that at some point also broke the Roman Empire, he was someone that said, "Okay, we have something beautiful." Let's now make sure that we keep having that and 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 consolidate, um, well, the empire, and and obviously there he's very well known for building Hadrian's Wall in, in for example Great Britain, and 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 I think that for what we do it's a, it's a great analogy, right? We we try to really be that consolidating power for the customers that that we have. Like you have a great company, great organization, you might have some security measures in place. Um, will help you consolidate the insights that you have, the teams that you have. We train basically based on the data that we have. You, you can even train your own staff, and and in that sense, really reduce the risk that you have. That, so that's the the metaphor that we were looking for, and I, I think it catches on with a lot of customers. So I'm happy with it. Yeah, nice, well done. And I think now you're so so ten months after uh, finding uh, founding the company. You're in a nice position. You you can do a lot of cool stuff and onboard a lot of talented people. But where do you see the future? So so I'm asking Rogier, the, the CEO, where do you want to be in in say two or three years with the company? So uh, so it's actually so we, we when we set out to do this journey, right? We said two things. One, we want to bring the hacker's perspective to everyone, and we want to help build a safer internet. And saying that 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 go, both goes for companies and for users of those companies, right? Because the the actual victims are more often than not are not necessarily the companies that got hacked, but the users that have their data there. And in order to really have that impact, we set some goals, and we had also like the, what you call like the big hairy audacious goal. And we just said, okay, in five years from now, which is four years and two months from now, we want to be a top fifty security company in the world. Um, which puts us around five billion in revenues. Um, well, we're not there yet, uh, but that's really where we set the dot on the horizon. We're saying we're going to be the best in bringing that hacker's perspective to the customers, building offensive security solutions, and really supporting the customer in in their security strategy. And in order for us to do that, we need to have customers all over the world, offices all over the world, and we need to have the best technology. And what do you foresee as the main challenges to reach that goal? That's a very good question. So, I always said when I was also when I was pitching to investors, 
there's there's going to be three phases to this company, right? Yeah, and that, and that could be fourth phase afterwards. I don't know, but the three phases that I see in order for us to get to that top fifty security company is the first phase is just you know we need to start up and build build a, build a little team, build some product. But most importantly, the product needs to work, right? And that is the biggest risk at the very early stage, and the risk that we're now seeing to decline because we see that the product works. But in reality, that's where the first focus always was like build a product that works and does what we promise it does. And if we get to that stage where we say, okay, now we have a product that works, the next real challenge is going to be, can we scale this up? Right? Can we get this from as 1 million revenues to 20 million, 30, 40 million revenues? Can we build offices or open offices all over the world in the US, in Europe, Asia, um, Australia, perhaps, you know, wherever we want to go. Can we open offices, sales offices, scale up, start working for the companies that are local and they're important. And if you can accomplish that, I'd say that that kind of gets you to that scale up phase. And the large phase, the real challenge that we're currently not even working on, right? We're, we're in, the, in between the first phase and the second phase right now. The last phase is going to be, can you be a full-fledged security provider? Which means that Right now, if you look at the security overall, the big conglomerates, they don't just offer one solution, right? They have a range of different products. They have a range of different services. And in order to really have the impact and be that top 50 company in the world, that's also something that we need to pitch to uh, pivot towards, right? And that can start to happen in three, four years from now. And you can do that by building more de development teams and or even by doing uh, mergers and acquisitions with, with other companies. Quite frankly, we're not even really thinking about it right now because the main focus is the, the, the ongoing concern of building the product and scaling it up. Um, but those are, the, I think, the three phases where this company will get towards in order to first reach a unicorn status and then be the top 50 company in the world. Yeah, it's bold, but I, I feel you. I, I see you guys making it happen. Yeah. But I like that what you guys say. I, I heard the word fun a lot. And I, I think that will attract the right talent to the organization and then it will flourish. Thanks so much for being on the show. I have one final question that we always ask our guests and I would uh, like to ask the both of you. And that's uh, if there's one signal message that you can send out to all the CISOs across the world, what would that message say? I'd, I'd say expand your scope. I think that the vast majority of CISOs that I've met would not consider Salesforce part of their scope. Uh, whereas if we break into your Salesforce account, we still have all your customers' data. So really consider that scope that you might have defined right now is not really your scope and start thinking about widening it. Well, for sure, the best scope is no scope at all. Just protect the company, not the these specific assets they're worried about because you'll miss things. I love that one. Yeah. So the best scope is no scope. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, nice. Thank you so much. I'm not sure if you still want to share some something as a as a yeah, closing thank, statement. Thank you for having a show. I had a good, I had a good time. I think I think you had a bit of a good time as well. Yeah, no, I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, happy with it. You both is great. Yeah. Right, uh, no? Perfect. Thank you for listening to Cybersecurity Talks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode with the latest trends, war stories, and exciting career anecdotes. If you enjoyed the show, please review this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, 
Could you do me one small favor? Could you please share this podcast with one friend that you think would like this show just as much as you do? Thank you. And for all further information, please go to csrecruitment.nl slash talks and subscribe to this podcast. We will be back with another exciting episode in just two weeks. So see you next time and stay safe.